You're listening to Nowhere to Run with Chris White on the Revelations Radio Network. Hey everybody, welcome to Nowhere to Run. Thank you for tuning into the show, however it is that you found it. If you've got any questions for me or anything, you can go to the website, which is nowheretorunradio.com. And you can email me there. My email directly is nowhere to run 1984 at gmail.com. And today I'm going to skip a lot of the formalities. I'll talk about what's going on with me and all that stuff in a different episode that I'll probably put together this weekend. But for now, I'm just going to play the audio from an interview that I just got done doing with a guy named Victor. I met Victor at the Politics of Religion Conference in Fort Wayne, Indiana a few weeks back. And Victor is just a... And on one hand, he's just a regular guy, and on the other hand, he's uh, he can be a great inspiration to all of us. Um, I encourage you to stick with the whole interview. It's about an hour long or something like that. It certainly is building to something, and it's just a really great uh, thing for Christians and for non-Christians. So if you're non-Christian and you're listening to this and thinking, okay, this is for Christians, just, just stick with them. Just stick with them. And... It's it certainly affected me a lot, and I know that it's going to affect a lot more people out there. If you need to contact Victor, you can contact me, and I'll uh, I'll send an email to him. So here is Victor. Uh, my name's Victor. I grew up in uh, Glenview, which is just uh, 20 miles north of Chicago. You know, I, I grew up like in the heart of John Hughes territory. So like 16 Candles and all those iconic uh, Breakfast Club movies and Ferris Bueller. So that was all shot in my neighborhood. Uh, grew up totally different from everybody else. I was a White Sox fan in a Cub neighborhood, so I was always I was always doing the opposite of what everyone else was doing, and I had a had a rebellious spirit, and I had a reputation for being rebellious. I was a poor student, and I just uh, never focused very well. I grew up Catholic, and I was someone, I was the type of kid that questioned everything, and so most of my teachers hated that. Uh, you know, I would question why the sky was blue, all that kind of stuff. So in Catholic services, I always questioned why we did everything. And I never got answers. It was always, why are they ringing that bell? Why are we kneeling? Why are we standing? And I never, my parents didn't really know the answers because they just were going along for the ride their whole life. And that always bothered me. And um, even as I got older, I started questioning JFK, 9-11, whatever it may be. Um, I came across uh, Rule by Secrecy by Jim Mars uh, when I was out of college and read that book, and uh, just my eyes were open to uh, a lot of that type of stuff, uh, Freemasonry, Illuminati, Rothschilds, all that. And so I always just questioned. I always felt like there was something else going on, but I wasn't a believer. In fact, uh, if anything, I was drifting away from, once I was in high school, I was no longer going to Catholic Church and didn't really believe in anything. Um but uh, some of my musical influences were like Public Enemy, KRS-One. So I, I was really into civil civil rights and and taking and 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 I had a heart for people that I felt were getting the shaft, I guess, from the man, if you will. And uh, um, one of one of my best friends, uh, my best friend at the time, Johnny, became a Christian when we were in high school, and uh, it really freaked me out because. He became a completely new creation, and I didn't recognize him anymore. And he was my partner in crime. We did everything together. We listened to the same music, watched the same movies. And, no, and then he didn't want to do any of that stuff anymore. And I was like, 
I was very I was turned off by that because he was trying to sell it to me, and I was I was enjoying my sin. I was enjoying what I was doing. I didn't understand why he didn't enjoy it anymore. So I was turned off by Christianity, and, and no fault of his. You know, he he just he went in his direction, and then I went in mine. But uh, something that was pivotal in my life was I um, dated a Mormon. When I was a senior in high school, uh, I got reintroduced from an old friend, an old classmate, and uh, she was Mormon, and she uh, would challenge me in my beliefs, or lack thereof, and she got me to think a lot, just about what is out there, and um, we dated for several years, and even into college, and then um, something... Uh, she she uh, challenged me to to find God because uh, if I was going to marry her, which that was starting to come up, you know, I was going to have to become Mormon and go through the temple and do all that. So I started investigating, and uh, I was investigating Mormon and Mormonism, and I was investigating whether there was even a God. I wasn't even sure anymore if there was a God. And she told me something. She said he would reveal himself if I if I seeked him. So I did for several months, almost a year. And I was not getting any answers. I was getting more frustrated. And I was starting to get angry at God and starting to question, which, you know, if you're really there, why don't you show yourself to me? Because I'm not, I was feeling lost, alone, and I was probably going about it wrong, too. I, I had no direction. And uh, one of the greatest things ever happened to me, I was in college, and um, I, was, I was at the end of my robe. I was, I was getting ready to give up and just say, you know what, there is no God. And um, I was in the library, and I, and I felt call go upstairs at the top of the to the top of the library for some reason and I'd never been prompted by the Holy Spirit ever before then so I, I didn't recognize what it was but I just I felt drawn and I get up there and I'm kind of questioning what am I doing up here I have no business being up here I need to go back downstairs and finish studying and I just got brought down to my knees I just fell to my knees and I got the biggest warmest loving hug that I've ever received. I, I got like fill, I got filled with the Holy Spirit right there. I was by myself at the top of the stairs, and I'm on my knees crying, and it was warm, and it was so loving, and God whispered in my ear, I'm right here, and I love you. And it wrecked me, man. I just was crying, and I realized there that God was real, and that he loved me. I'd never even considered that he loved me before, and I was to the point where I didn't even believe he existed. So that just that destroyed me. So, but what I didn't understand at the time was, okay, so now God's revealed himself to me and that he's real. So now I'm thinking, well, okay, so the Mormon thing is true, you know. So I start going to Mormon church, and I'm considering even getting baptized now and doing and, 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 and going down that road. But things just didn't feel right. I was starting to read the Bible for the first time, and um, I don't know, it just, it was all religion again. And I had a bad taste in my mouth from my Catholic uh, growing experience growing up, and it was feeling like the same thing, just uh, repackaged, and that's what I didn't like. I didn't, that, that love that I felt from the Father when he embraced me, I wasn't feeling that. It was, it was, you had to wear a tie, it was just, I don't know, it was religious, and it just kind of left a bad taste in my mouth. So I stopped going, you know, I was doing that for several months, and then that just wasn't feeling good, and so I decided not to go with it, and that caused a strain on the relationship, and then the relationship ended which was, uh, you know, probably a good thing. Um, but after that, I, I, I didn't have any, no one there to disciple me, nobody to give me direction. 
So I floundered, and I was in college, so I, I, I was sitting, you know, I was on the fence. I had one foot in the word and one foot in the world, and it was a miserable place to be. And, um, you know, I, just, I floundered for a long time. I looked for affirmation in things like in women. I wanted, if women found me attractive, you know, I was always trying to make myself attracted, uh, attractive to women or so I would chase after women or uh, later I would chase after celebrities. I have quite the autograph collection. <laughs> um, I don't know if those were the things that would gratify my, my desires and make me feel good. And uh, I found my, I met my wife, Andrea, in, in college, and uh, we got married um, about four years after I graduated from college. And uh, so we started going to church. We felt like that was the right thing to do. So I was kind of in and out of church for, for those four years. When we got married, we had, we had promised each other that we would start going to church. She grew up in a church, and we felt that that would be the right thing to do. So we started doing that, and we, um, we just were going to, I don't know, just your regular uh, uh, evangelical free churches and things. And I was, I was getting fed, and I was growing. It was the first time I was really pursuing God. And then um, my wife got a, a job opportunity in North Carolina through her job. Now, at the time, I was making, we were both making great money. We were living in a very affluent neighborhood in the northern suburbs of Chicago. I had season tickets to Bears and White Sox and was going to all the clubs, doing everything that the world says would make you happy. And we had a great marriage. But I don't know, I still was never satisfied. And the things I kept chasing after the things of the world, but it wasn't satisfying me. And uh, this job opportunity came, and it was to move to a, a, a more, uh, small town in North Carolina. And I'm living in one of the richest suburbs at the time in America. And I and all my friends, all my family, everything is there. I have, like I said, I had a great job, a great career uh, with a Fortune 500 company. And I didn't want to move to North Carolina. I went down there several times to look at housing and. It was so radically different from anything I grew up with. I wanted nothing to do with it. But for the first time in my life, I asked God what he wanted. And that was the biggest game changer of my life. And it was the best decision I ever made was to say, you know what, God, I haven't ever asked you. What do you want? I've always done things my way, and it's never turned out all that great. Um, so I'm sitting at my desk at work, and I felt prompted to go uh, on the Internet and look at churches because I figured, well, if I did move hypothetically, which I won't, but if I was to move, I need to find a church down there. So I'm on my lunch break. I'm surfing, and uh, this church comes up, and immediately I get filled with the Holy Spirit at my desk. I'm wrecked. I'm crying. I felt that warm, loving embrace again from God that I hadn't felt since college. And he said, this is the church that I'm sending you to. And I saw the picture of the pastor, and he said, that man is going to baptize you. Because I'd only been baptized as an infant through the Catholic Church. So he said, this man's going to baptize you. So I'm there sitting there. I'm wrecked. I'm crying. So I, my boss was sitting next to me, and I turned to her, and I just quit. I just quit my job right there. And like I said, I had an excellent career. I was a, I was a, a manager, um, an accounting manager in the investment department at a major uh, Fortune 500 company, and I just quit my job right there on the spot, and that was the scariest thing I ever did. I called my wife after that and said, hey, um, let's take that job in North Carolina. I'll, I'll fill you in later. So we moved down there. I didn't tell her about uh, the church, uh, you know, the word from God. 
I wanted to test the spirits. So we went down there, and we went to at least a dozen churches, and I saved the church that I knew God wanted us to go to last. And when we went to that church, after visiting a dozen other churches, we walked out of the service, and she said, I want to go to this church. I want to make this my church home. And I said, you know what? That's what God told me. And that was the first time I'd ever really had a confirmation like that from God. And it was just, it was great. And that became, we didn't know anybody down there. We didn't have anybody except our church family. So we grew exponentially um, in that church, uh, received the, the gifts of the Spirit down there. Every, this, it was just a, such a blessing. And the people down there, I am who I am because of the great people at our church down, down in uh, North Carolina. Um, so, yeah, things are going great, but I can't find a job. So here I have an accounting degree, and I'm overqualified for every job inter in your interview I take, and I don't even get a phone call back from anybody. So now I'm starting to question, okay, God, you brought me down here. We found the church you wanted us to go to, and what, what's going on with the job here? So all of a sudden, all these video doors open. Video was always a hobby of mine. I don't have any formal training, but God opened the door for me. I started meeting people in the video business. I mean, uh, uh, a man by the name of Jesse Lewis was going to the church we were going to, and he owned a business where he made uh, the video backgrounds that you see in, in most churches today uh, behind, like, the praise and worship lyrics on the, on the, on the projector screens. So I started helping him. Uh, I met a, a former uh, WCW pro wrestler who wanted to start a wrestling show, and uh, I, 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 so I started helping him produce a TV show for his professional wrestling show. Um, and then just other things just started coming up, and then uh, everyone just said, "Hey, you know what? You need to start a business, and we'll we'll refer people to you." And it was it was amazing. So uh, one of the greatest things that happened to me during this was I met uh, Tully Blanchard. Now he was a uh, professional wrestler in the '80s, and while I was I was consulting a TV station, and I met him at the TV station. He was doing an interview. And uh, I was a big fan of his uh, growing up as a kid. So I went there to get his autograph and nothing more. I wasn't, I, they didn't need me to work that day. I just came in to get his autograph. And I asked him, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm part of a prison ministry, Bill Glass, Champions for Life. I'm on the board of directors. And I'm thinking to myself, you, the pro wrestler, you're, you do prison ministry? You're a, you know. And uh, at the time, my younger brother was in prison. And uh, my brother had rededicated his life to the Lord while in prison because of prison ministry. So I really had a heart for that. And uh, Tully Blanchard challenged me to go into the prisons with him. And he told me something I'll never forget. He said, you're going to find more love in the prison than you will at any shopping mall in this country. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. You know, to me, prison is scary. I, you know, and he said, don't believe what you've seen on TV or in the movies. So um, I went into prison with Tully Blanchard. And it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. It was for the first time I shared my faith. I'd never led anybody to the Lord before. I'd never shared my faith with anybody. So that was all new, and it was scary, but I loved it. And uh, so to this day, I continue to do prison ministry, and uh, it's, it's a passion of mine, and I, and I just absolutely love it. Um, something else that happened uh, when I was doing the video uh, work was I uh, made a music video that appeared on BET, on, uh, on, on Rap City and on uh, 106 and Park. And... Um, I got introduced to the music business that way and just saw all the, the shady stuff that goes on with the music business and 
and just the propaganda and just working in TV, I, I've gotten to see how fake everything is on TV and how controlled everything is. So uh, that's with uh, some of my conspiracy theory background. I guess it's, it's, it's jaded me over the years, I guess you could say. Um, but it's definitely been uh, – it, it was a blessing to be – to do all the video work I did. It was a lot of fun. Um, and like I said, while I was down there in North Carolina, I was growing in the Lord. It was great because I used to think that uh, when I prior to going down there, I, I, I was I was a pre-tribulation rapture person. I thought that being a Christian meant you watch TBN. Uh, and I, and uh, I learned a lot. But, you know, I still struggled with pride. Even after being filled with the Spirit, I, I still was continuing in some of my sin. Um, uh, I was in looking at pornography, lusting, um, you know, still dealing with that. And I was wondering why. I never, at the time, I didn't understand why I hadn't been fully delivered from that. And that was something um, I, I wrestled with. But things were good. But then it was time to move back to Chicago. So we were down there for four years, and... Uh, God was calling us back here, and I felt that uh, God really wanted me to begin to witness to my family. Uh, and we had a daughter down in North Carolina, so uh, it was. We felt that it'd be good to move up here, have the grandparents, you know, spend time with our daughter. And uh, when I moved back to Chicago, uh, I started questioning a lot of things, and uh, just questioning why the church was lacking its teeth and why it had, you know, I'm starting to see church statistics, uh, you know, that 75% of youth, um, you know, fall out of the faith once they, you know, graduate from uh, high school and enter college, you know, things things like that, uh, where only 1% to 2% of Christian men share their faith on a daily basis and only 10% have ever shared their faith. So as I was getting um, my eyes opened up to statistics like that that were really sad statistics to me. I was, I was starting to really question a lot of things and seeing hypocrisy in the church, and, th- and I was getting a little disgruntled. And um, at that time, I read the book No Compromise by Keith Green. And uh, that book really changed, uh, it changed me in a lot of ways. And Keith Green is, is a hero of mine to this day. I um, also read Myth of the Christian Nation by Greg Boyd. And that book really, really changed me. Because I saw what was going on in the church, and it was something that I always, always troubled me, but I never was able to put my finger on it until I read that book. Something that Greg Boyd says in that book, he says, the best way to get a Christian to put down the, their, their cross is to hand them a sword. And that's what I see so prevalent uh, even today, especially with uh, the recent um, killing of Osama bin Laden. Um, just seeing the pride, seeing people want to just, I don't know. I've heard so many Christians say they wanted to make a parking lot out of Iraq and Afghanistan after 9/11, and I just never understood that. Um, it, that always seemed wrong to me. This wanting to control the United States, wanting to control the government, wanting to rule with an iron fist—it it seemed very Constantine. It didn't seem Jesus. Jesus washed his disciples' feet. He was their master, but yet he went on on his knees, washed their feet, and he said, do likewise. He told, he taught them to be a servant. And I think so many times that's what we're lacking. I think we want to control and run things. Um, but we got to learn to die to self and to those ambitions of, of ruling. Um, I also read uh, Shane Claiborne's book, um, 
Irresistible Evolution. And um, that book also really had an impact on me of wanting to just reach the undesirables. You know, doing prison ministry, yeah, you see a lot of people down and out. And so my wife and I already had a heart for that. She she was um, uh, volunteering in a pregnancy crisis center. So we 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 our heart has really been for uh, people that are being left on the sidelines, uh, that are being forgotten. Um, so I, I felt like I was being I was just unevenly yoked, even within my own church. Um, I was at a church uh, here in Chicago that. There was many, it's in the military, uh, there's a large naval base here. So there's a lot of Navy, a lot of military, a lot of ex-Navy. And I don't have anything, no problems with the military. But just the attitude of this hoorah, we need to kill everybody attitude was a little uh, disheartening. And it just, it, it concerned me. So I did, uh, one of the hardest things I've ever had to do is God called my wife and I um, into the wilderness and uh so we, we stopped attending a uh, institutionalized church, I guess you could say, and we just started really seeking God, uh, getting in his word more, and just uh, having home fellowship. And, uh, you know, it's hard. It's hard because, you know, I was the guy running sound. I was the guy running the projector. I was the guy helping run the circus, helping – I was one of the ringleaders. I was – the guy coming up with new ways to entertain the church. I was the one making the videos. And so I had to take a step back because I felt like I may be part of the problem. And, uh, yeah, so God called us out, and it was hard. But I've had expon- I've seen exponential growth since we've done that. And um, uh, one of the things that's uh, since happened, I-, I found that I've had to rely more on God. I was, ty- was kind of relying... Not kind of. I was. I was relying on the pastor to give me a rhema word every Sunday. You know, I would come, the world would kick my butt for six days, and then I'd come back, and then I'd come dragging my tail on Sunday, hoping to get a pick-me-up message to get me through the next week. And uh, so I, I had to rely more on God instead of man when I came out into the wilderness. Um, what was great is when I came into the wilderness and uh, I cut some ties with some of the people in my past, I uh, I said, God, I need like-minded people in my life. And now, it, it God is so great. He He has given me all these new relationships. People, the people I'm friends with today, I didn't even know three years ago. Some of my best friends right now, I didn't even know two or three years ago. And uh, the God appointments have been uh, just astounding. One of them has been you, Chris. Um, when I was in the when I first got into the wilderness, I started um, finding sermons online and just started looking for things online. And a friend got me uh, uh, pointed me to Revelation Radio, and uh, I found you, and I found Russ Dizdar, and uh, started listening to uh, uh, Scott Johnson. I uh, I found True News. Uh, all these people I started listening to online, and the one thing uh, that that's been a a game changer for me is I was going to pick up my brother from prison and I was going on a long car ride to Southern Illinois. So I downloaded a whole bunch of uh, podcasts and I downloaded one of yours. And that was about one of the first times I'd ever even listened to you. And what stood out was that you were speaking about evangelism. And that's something that's always been on my heart since I do prison ministries and I like to witness to people. 
So I was like, oh, I'll, I'll listen to this evangelism. That's good. And in there, you played a clip from Mark Cahill. And in that clip, he talked about witnessing and going to gay pride parades. And that wrecked me. I had to pull over in the middle of a cornfield, and I was just crying. That I found a man that loved the homosexual community so much that he was willing to go out there and and be in the midst of all them and share the love of Jesus with them. And that wrecked me because when I was a young kid, I had a somebody in my neighborhood um, did some had touched me inappropriately and tried to force themselves on me. So I grew up with the shame of that my whole life, and and I, I don't know if I would say a root spirit of homosexuality was within me, but there was always just just something weird about it, and just I don't know, there was a weird attraction to some of that stuff. Sometimes I never acted on it, but I always felt just so much shame and guilt that I would even be attracted to something that I hated, and so. I've always had a heart for that community just because I know that so many people that are in there have been abused and and they don't know the Lord and they don't get the affirmation from God because their nature is the complete opposite of God's nature and they're lacking affirmation so they're affirming themselves with a pride parade and I know how much they're hurting. So when I heard that, that just... Oh, that just touched my that touched me so much, and that was such a blessing. So I so then I, I read one of the books that changed my life was the one thing you can't do in heaven by Mark Cahill, and it really got me off the sideline and got me into shopping malls and going to parades and doing those sort of things. No longer just going into prisons, but sharing my faith on a daily basis, just as I go. And Matthew ten has become a life verse for me. Just as you go, heal the sick, raise the dead, those type of things. And a, another person that's been instrumental in that is Todd White. Um, uh, getting to meet him and hanging out with him and, and, and seeing his heart of just going and praying for people when you see people in the mall. You know, we, we, that, that's that's what the church is called to do. We're called to have compa- one, have compassion on these people and, and love on them and, and pray for them and share with them. And so this all came from going into the wilderness. Uh, and it, it, it's been such a such a blessing. Uh, yeah, last year at the, at the Gay Pride Parade, yeah, there's some abominations going on there. I mean, it is not for everybody. But I, I would I would suggest praying about that one before I would send anybody there because that's a tough crowd to witness to. But you know what? I had grown men crying on my shoulder. Crying. People crying. There are so many people down there that hate what they do and they have no direction because they're only receiving hate. At the Gay Pride Parade last year in Chicago, there were two kinds of people down there. There was two groups, I would say, of Christians. There was a group of Christians at the end of the parade that throws rocks at the people with signs that say God hates fags. And then there's people there that are from Unitarian churches handing out water, just saying, hey, God loves you no matter what you do, and keep on doing what you're doing. It's all good. So you have these two extremes at the gay pride parade, and there's very little people bringing balance to that. And uh, so I would, I, would, I would really challenge anybody out there to, to go to the parades and, and, and love on these guys, but share the truth. You don't need to tell them how much, how, how much an abomination homosexuality is. Tell them that, show them the Ten Commandments, that the lying, the gossiping, the just anything, killing, all, stealing, it's all just as bad. And, you know, that community is killing themselves. The oldest man I saw at the gay pride parade was in his 40s. And I think the average gay man lives to 
be like 44 or 45. Um, and they're, 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 um, and it, it's, it's sad. And they're sad. There was no joy. It was a, it was a parade, but it was, there was no joy there. It was all fake. Everyone there was gay or high. I mean, uh, drunk or high. And that's how they had to, you know, even enjoy what they were doing. So it, it was very sad. And they need the Lord so desperately. Um, uh, another great thing that happened while um, during this this will uh, during this trip in the wilderness that I've been on is uh, I went to a uh, I went to a, a juvenile uh, correction center two years ago, and um, I was there and there was a young boy there that was really causing trouble and being disruptive, and I felt in my spirit that 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 I just, I knew God loved him. I, and that's something I've really gotten a hold of from from guys like Todd White and a, a brother named S.J. Hill. They've just really put in my spirit just in showing me how much the Father really loves us, how much he just truly loves us. His price in heaven was paid for our souls. And I've finally gotten a hold of that and realized how much the Father really loves us and that how much of a sacrifice, you know, Jesus, that his, his blood being shed and, 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 and on Calvary's cross, how much that means. I've really, really just started to realize all this. And I'm trying to love people into the kingdom, and I'm, and I'm seeing fruit from that. And this, this boy, Ryan, he's over there causing wreck. He's being a mess and being disruptive. And I just started praying. I said, God, I know how much you love this guy. And he's, not, he's acting this way because he's hurt. Please give me a word for him. And this has never happened in my whole life, so I don't want to sound super spiritual to all the listeners, but God gave me, I started getting filled with the Spirit. I started speaking in tongues. And... All of a sudden, I'm reading his mail. I told him everything he's ever done, pretty much. And I don't remember what I even told him. I had to ask him what I told him. I just started spewing out all kinds of stuff. And he starts crying, and I'm crying. And I can't. I don't even know what I'm saying to the boy. He runs out of the room. He comes back with the guard five minutes later. He calls me to the side. He says, he goes, how did you know all of that? Please tell me. And I said, I don't even know what I said to you. You're going to have to repeat it back to me. I go, I don't even know what just happened. I go, God had a word for you, but I go, can you please tell me what I said? He said that he told me that I had told him. He's like, you told me that I just got here two days ago and that I've tried to kill myself and that nobody in my family will even talk to me and that I have nobody. And he just went on and on and on about all the things I had said to him. And, of course, this was a word of, you know, from God. And... Because of that, he was blown away and said, how can you know this? And I said, God, this is how much God loves you. And he wants you to know him. And it struck up a relationship. And now I, I, so I write Ryan on a regular basis. I, call, I talk to him on the phone. And I, I've gone to visit him now that he's in prison. He's going to be in prison for, over 20, for the next 25 years. He's an 18-year-old kid. And here's the great thing. Um, I recently sent him one of Mark Cahill's books, uh, One Heartbeat Away. And uh, because of that book, he gave his, his life to the Lord. So look at the way God has ordained our steps. You know, had I not found a Chris White podcast, I may never have heard of Mark Cahill. Had I not ever heard of Mark Cahill, I may have never sent Ryan a Mark Cahill book. And now Ryan is saved. Now he, he may have gotten saved through other ways, but I just love to see how God uses all these things. It's just, it's so exciting. It's so exciting to me. So, um, yeah, so last summer I'm in a prison out in Ohio, and um, I'm just sharing with some brothers out in the yard and in the gym, and uh started talking to this one brother, and I, and I only talked to him for about 10 minutes, but he, he got a wreck. 
he was just crying, and I could see he was really moved. So I'm like, hey, let me get, I'm like, have you ever gotten a visit? Does anyone, do you have any family? He's like, I don't have anybody. Nobody writes me. No one's ever visited me. I said, here, give me your number. So I write him. And uh, he writes me back, and he says, you know, I'm getting out in July, and I have, I have nowhere, I have nothing, I have nothing, nowhere to go, I have nothing, I don't even want to get out of prison. I'm going to be off of parole, they're not going to put me in a halfway house, they're not going to put me anywhere, they're just going to put me on a bus. And, um, oh boy, I, I started, I, my heart just wept for this, my, my heart ached for this. I was like, this is, you know, what do we, Father, what do I do with this? And um, God put it on my heart that, to invite him into our home. Now here's a, a, a man I, I spoke in a prison um, 800 miles away for 10 minutes, and I've and I've and I've written one letter to him, and he's written me three letters, and telling me, and he's not asking me for anything. He's not asking to come here. He's not asking for help. He's just pouring out his heart because he doesn't even have friends in prison. He's a loner. He has nobody. So he's pouring out his heart to me because he's had no one to talk to for for ages in the prison. And I share this with my wife and, you know, get get to praying about it and just, God, what can we do? I'm looking for places where this man can go live. I'm looking for halfway houses. I'm looking for other, you know, for single men that would, wouldn't mind taking him in. Um, and God is just, God keeps telling me over and over again, you know, uh, I need to do the, I need to do the good that I know to do or else it's sin, you know, James 4.17 um, type stuff, you know, that, and I'm just, I know what to do, but I'm, like, how do I bring a strange man from prison into my house? Now I have two daughters. I have a six-year-old and a one-year-old, and I'm going to bring a stranger into this house. And uh, time and time again, God keeps telling me, bring, invite him to my house. And um, I was listening to a Keith Green <laughs> CD, and, you know, uh, when, when Keith Green says, uh, uh, you know, he brings people to your door, and you turn them away, and you smile and say, God bless you, be at peace, and all heaven just weeps. Oh, my goodness, that just wrecks me. That wrecks me. That's what I've been doing my whole life. I've been telling people, God bless you. I'll pray for you. And, uh, oh, that's garbage. I, I hate it. That's what the rest of the world does. Um, so, so Brian, so I write him and I say, Brian, I want you to come live with us. So when he gets out of prison, we put him on a Greyhound bus and we bring him to our house. And Brian... Um, and within 24 hours, we got him a job. In this economy, we got him a, in 24 hours. He he has a job working in a warehouse, and I was able. You know, since he's living in my house, it's a perfect opportunity to disciple somebody. So I'm you know I'm discipling him every day. Um, he's part of our Bible study. He, he joins our men's group. He's in our home fellowship, and it's just it it, it it's amazing the fruit of it. So then. So then he, he lost his job. He was going through some tough times and getting discouraged. And I, I just kept telling him, God's got the perfect job for you out there. He's got the perfect job for you. I, I promise you. I know that. He didn't bring you here all the way from Cleveland for nothing. So get this. He is he, he, he's sending out hundreds of resumes. And uh, before he'd gone to prison, he had been working in a steel mill in Cleveland back in the 90s. So a steel mill out here calls him. And they say, hey, uh, you know, we want you to come in for an interview, and he says, you know, I have a felony. Everywhere, I'm talking hundreds of places, when he told them he had a felony, they said, sorry, we don't hire ex-cons. This place was the only place that said, yeah, that's not a problem. They bring him in. They say, hey, we see that you worked at uh, a steel company back in the 90s in Cleveland. 
the the owner of the steel mill says, I toured that mill back in 95, and that, back when you worked there. He knew his bosses. He knew Brian's old bosses back from the, the mid-90s. He calls over there, and these guys are like, hey, you need to hire Brian. He was the hardest working guy we ever had. I mean, that's just, that's how good God is, man. So that, that's just being obedient. So now he's got full, he's got, He's got 401k. He's got benefits. He's got a career, and and he's that's that's the, that's what the kingdom looks like, man. That's what we need to start doing. You know, I had so many people tell me, doesn't the government have programs like that? You know, to do for stuff like that. We don't need to be looking to the government. We need to be looking at ourselves. We the kingdom is here. We need to die to self. You know, now I look at. I have. A, I am so blessed. I have a large home. I have four bedrooms. It was no second. And now I look at it, and I'm like, what kind of sacrifice is that to put a man in one of my four bedrooms? That's not a sacrifice. Um, you know, we need, this is what the church looks like. And that's something I got really challenged by when I read Greg Boyd's book, The Myth of a Christian Nation. You know, I know, that we're, I know Christians are pro-life, but really, we're really just pro-birth. We don't want to see fetuses be destroyed. We want to see them born. But what happens then when the, when the girl gets kicked out of her house because she chooses life? Are you willing to take that girl in, that high school girl, and help her raise that child so she could finish school and have a chance in life? That's what being pro-life is. That's the challenge I've been putting out to people, is we need to start bringing people into our homes. You know, uh, especially with the economy, economy being the way it is, that's what the kingdom looks like. That's what the early church looked like, and I'm seeing the fruit of that. And, and Brian's, Brian's story is just the beginning. And, now, and, and a lot of my friends have been now inspired to, to want to help other people coming out of prison or whatever it might be, and they're, and they're starting to open their homes because they're seeing just the fruit of it, and, and, and that's obedience, and, I'm, and I've been blessed so much by him living here, and it's, it's, oh, it's, it's been an honor to be used by God, you know, in, in, this, in, in this area, and, and like I said, seeing Ryan, uh, you know, just, just going to prison, you know, Jesus said, you know, what we've done unto the least of these, you know, we're doing unto him. What would you say to somebody that, uh, you know, they're, they're wanting to do more, but oftentimes they're like, well, uh, I'm waiting for God to kind of show me this this ministry or, or you know, where do I start or I'm not uh, qualified or what would you say to somebody that, that has the the right intentions, but what's the next step? Well, there are certain things to pray for. Yes, if you're going to start a ministry or if there's things that are going to be very time consuming that are going to pull you away from your family, yes. Those things definitely need to be taken in prayer. But um, when I invite people to go to a, uh, into a prison with me, if, if the doors of a prison are open, I'm a, I want to be there. And some people tell me, well, I need to pray about that. And I said, well, are you available that day? Do you, have a, do you have a scheduling conflict? They say no. I said, well, then you just need to go. That's not something you need to pray about. Just go. <laughs> you know, for, for, for that type of thing. If you're available, then just go. You know, if, if it's starting a ministry, if it's something big where it's going to require money or it's going to require a lot of time where you're going to be away from people, you know, yes, you want to be in prayer whether God's called you to that group of people because it's going to be pulling you away from something else. But if going, you know, but uh, like I said, Matthew 10 has become a life verse for me. And, uh, you know, it, it, we we got to put away our fears. And and it, it, as you go, as you go, heal the sick, raise the dead. And we just we just need to be... We just need to be doers of the word. We got to step out in faith, and you know Jesus said we're going to do greater, you know, greater miracles. We'll see greater things, and I, I believe that. I actually believe that Jesus 
meant that. So I'm clinging to those promises. And I'm not chasing after signs and wonders, but those signs and wonders will follow. So I, I'm i trusting in God. And I've seen the greatest breakthroughs when I've, when, I've, when I've poured myself out, when I've been at the gay pride parade, or when I'm in a prison. I got a word of knowledge for a kid that, that has saved his life and his soul because I went and loved somebody that was not lovable. I went to a place that nobody wants to go to, you know. And it's not because I get great joy out of going into jail. Yeah, the the food is nasty. It's a bad place. I come out feeling like, you know, like there's demons jumping on my back when I leave the place. But it's, you know, I come under attack that whole week. I have to pray and fast that whole week before I go into a prison just to get get my armor on and get pity. But, um, we yeah, we just need to, to go. And you can't, you know, love is inconvenient, Chris. That, that's what I've learned. And... The church doesn't do a good job of loving sometimes, loving people that are different. We're good at loving, you know, when we invite someone into a church, a lot of times, you know, if they'll conform to, you know, start talking like us, looking like us, acting like us, you know, we'll love them. But if they start acting, you know, but if they're not one of us, it's tough for us to love them. And we need to, something that changed my life several years ago is I started asking God, I wanted to see his people through his eyes because I am so judgmental. Like I said, I grew I grew up with a, with a silver spoon in my mouth. I was very good at judging people. I was very good at condemning them. I was very good at stepping on people to make myself feel better about myself and my insecurities. And I said, Father, you know, and I was good at, yeah, I was good at tearing people down. And I learned that my words, you know, that I could speak life or death, that I could build people up or tear them down, and I tore them down my whole life. And I said, God, I want to see your children through your eyes. And when God started showing me his children through his eyes, it wrecked me, and I had compassion. And I loved people that weren't lovable. And how do you leave those people on the street? How do you leave them? How do you not share Jesus with them? Right. It, it's interesting how it's that's sort of the engine that drives everything. It's his it's his love for people that makes you have to go out there or have to pray for them or have to have to love them. It's it's not. And and so I guess that's a question. How do people? How do people get that love? How do they get filled with that love and that desire? Is it, is it as simple as uh, just praying as you, as you did? I believe so. He first loved us. Okay, I don't even know how to love. You know, I don't even know how to love myself, let alone somebody else. But you know, and I, I hated myself. I was I, I've hated myself my whole life. I I half my life I've been you know practically suicidal because I never liked myself. You know, some of it is because of the like I said. The, the shame that I carried for years, um, just all kinds of things, and, and hidden sin. And so the shame that came along with that, I was not even able to love myself. But, again, uh, guys like Todd White, S.J. Hill, some of these guys that really showed me how much the Father loves me. So once I grabbed hold and realized how much God loves me, that I'm redeemed. I always saw myself as this pitiful, wretched sinner. But I re- then I realized that I was redeemed. And God sees me for my original value. He sees us as sons. And I, then I finally realized, I'm a son. I need to get out. Like, yeah, sometimes I'll fall and, you know, I repent and I get over it and I move on. But I'm not a miserable, poor, wretched sinner, you know. And I am a son of the king. And I have an, an inheritance waiting for me. And, you know, and when I realized how much he really, really loved me, then I was able to start to be able to love myself. Because how can I hate something that God loves. If God loves me, how can I hate that? So then I finally started to love myself and respect myself and see myself through God's eyes. 
So once I was able to see myself through God's eyes, then I was able to come to him and say, okay, now I need to see your children through your eyes, God. So if you have self-esteem problems, if, you're, if, you, if you don't like your, you know, if you don't even like yourself, if you don't even love yourself, it's going to be hard to love others. So first you've got to figure out who you are in God's eyes. And a lot of that comes through reading the Word. You just need, you got to get into the Word and you've got to get in on your knees, you know, to find out who you are in Christ. And once you get there, then start seeing how God loves the world. That, you know, so much that he sent his only son. And once we grab hold of that, then it's, it's, it's much easier to minister to everybody because you love them. And love is inconvenient, and you won't care. You won't care that it's a, it doesn't make sense to drive 800 miles to spend a couple hours in a jail. You know, that doesn't matter anymore. You, you, you don't question, why am I doing this? Why am I going on my way to do this? No, because God's calling me to go there, and he's got something in store for someone there. Because now Brian, the gentleman that's been living with us, he's getting ready to move out now. And you know what? He's been pouring out to other people, and he's sharing God's love, and he's witnessing, and he's sharing, and he's doing all these things now. And he's bringing restoration to, to his girlfriend's family. And it's just so amazing to see. So we just we need to die to our desires and, and, and walk it out, man. We need to walk it out. Um, last January... Um, yeah, I'll even say it was on Martin Luther King Day. This is what happened. This is one of the craziest things that's ever happened to me in my whole entire life. Um, I was ret- I had to return a video camera downtown Chicago, and that's about a 40-minute drive for me. And I had both my daughters because school was out. And we were getting in the car, and I got to return the camera, and there's a blizzard. And I'm talking, you know, inches of snow, Chicago blizzard. It's not the kind of – you don't want to take your kids on the highway for, for – a joyride. So I got to take this camera back or I'm going to get dinged hundreds of dollars. It was a, a very expensive high-definition camera. So I get in the car and we're driving. And I always take the same road to Chicago. And I'm on the road and, and God is telling me to take a different way, to take the long way, to take the toll way. And this is six miles out of my way and i got to pay like $5 in tolls. And that makes absolutely no sense because there's a snowplow in front of me. And it's going to take even longer because I'm going to be stuck behind a snowplow for five miles. And he's going 10 miles an hour. And I'm wrestling with this, and God keeps saying, go straight, go the long way. So I do it. And now I'm going down the highway. So then I finally get to the highway. I'm so frustrated because it's taking me so much longer. And I get on the tollway, and immediately, as soon as I get on the tollway, there's a, a semi-truck on its side in the median. And the, his, his trailer is on the other side of the expressway blocking all four lanes of traffic. And everyone on my side is just driving past this guy. And I pull over. I get out of my truck, I tell my girls to stay in the car, I get out of my truck, and I'm telling you, man, I've never seen an accident this bad. I couldn't eat, the whole roof was like sheared off from the, the white pole that had been wrapped around this thing, uh, the front end is bashed in, and there's blood everywhere. I'm talking, it looks like it, like he hit a deer, there's like pine, there's just blood everywhere, man, in the snow. So when you see that red in the white snow, it stops me dead in my tracks because I'm not, I'm not that type of guy. I get squeamish at other people's blood. And I said, dear Lord, this man doesn't even have a head. There's no way he's even alive. And I cannot even take one step closer to that truck because I cannot even bear what that looks like. I said, but God, if you want me over there, I'll go over there. And no sooner did I say that, I saw a hand come out of the wreckage waving for me to come over. So I ran over there, and I had to, I had to climb over this, the railing and climb over the tr- into the truck and I look into the truck, 
and this guy's face has been rearranged. His jaw is over to the side. The, the piece of bone that's between your mouth and your nose is over to the other side. His cheekbones are crushed in, and there's a hole in his forehead, and his skull is hanging out, and I can practically see his brains, and blood is shooting out with every heartbeat. Okay? And I almost threw up in this guy's face because I have never seen anything that horrible in my entire life. And I said, dear Lord, please, somebody help me. And I started screaming out, and a guy comes up and he throws his coat and it was a white lambskin lining inner lining of the coat and i looked at the man and i said you're not going to get your coat back friend and he said that's fine take it so yeah so i'm, I'm hanging upside down into this truck because it's, it's sideways on, on the driver's side on the median on the concrete median as i've gone through the through the truck and this truck is still on and the wheels are still spinning and the engine is still shaking and everyone's standing everyone's standing 100 feet away from this thing because they don't know if it's going to explode or what and I don't, and I'm, I'm sitting there going, what am I even doing in this thing? And I put his face in the, uh, he was pinned in there. I couldn't even see his body. I don't even know if, his, if he's got internal bleeding, nothing. I, I don't know. But he's bleeding everywhere. He's bleeding on me. And I, I put his face in the, in the white lambskin coat. And, and I told this brother, I said, hey, man, I go, my name's Victor, and I'm going to stay with you until the, until the paramedics get here, all right? And I'm sitting there, and I'm just holding him, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, this man's going to die in my hands. I've never even seen somebody die in my whole life. And this guy's going to die in my hands. What do you do with someone that's going to die in your hands? Okay, well, you share Jesus with them is what you do. So I just started telling him, hey, man, do you know the Lord Jesus Christ? He loves you so much. He sent his only son to die for you. And that's how much he loves you, man. And I just started sharing the love of Jesus with this guy the best I knew how. And... I got filled with the Holy Spirit, and I'll tell you this, man, I don't know if there was angels in that truck with me, but it felt like it, and I felt the presence of God in that truck, and I'm crying out to God, and I don't even remember what I was saying, because I'm just speaking in tongues, and I'm just pouring out, and I'm just crying out to God for the, this whole time, and sharing the love of Christ, and trying to walk him through this plan of salvation the best I know. And then finally, about 15 or 20 minutes later, the paramedics get there, and they're trying to figure out if the truck's going to blow up and what to do and how to get this guy. And they're, you know, they're, they're figuring all that out. And finally, they were able to relieve me and get in there and support his neck and get him kind of supported and figure out how to cut him out. So I get out of there, and I, I'm holding the coat, and I look at the coat, and there's, like, no blood in this thing, man. I'm talking, like, maybe the size of a quarter of blood in this coat. And this guy was bleeding he bled like a stuck pig for 30 seconds to a minute. And I held this guy for 20 minutes, and he didn't bleed. And I'm looking at this coat like, what's going on here? This thing should be this should be a bloodbath. And I'm really confused. And now I'm thinking, now there's condemnation. I'm thinking, what did I do wrong? See, it's always about me. What did I do? Oh, I did it all wrong. I didn't stop the pressure. I screwed up. I didn't do it right. The guy ran out of blood. He died. He couldn't talk. I didn't even know, you know, if he's listening, if he's conscious. I couldn't even tell. So I drive down the highway because I got a video camera to return. That's all I can think about. Now I'm all shaken up. I'm covered in blood. And I'm like, oh, well, I guess he died. So I got my men's group a couple days later, and I tell, I tell them about it. And uh, the next day I get a phone call from one of the brothers in the men's group, and he says, Victor, they're talking about the, car, the truck accident on the radio, not on the secular radio or on the secular radio on the country radio station they're talking about it they're saying a man a good samaritan stopped and uh shared jesus with the truck driver and he lived and i said really you think they're talking about me he's like who else can they be talking about 
and they're looking for you. And I said, they're looking for me. Uh, who do I call? I don't know, but they're looking for you. I get another phone call later that day. Victor, have you seen the front page of the newspaper? No, I haven't seen the front page of the newspaper. He's like, you're on the front page of the newspaper. So he sends me it. And the Chicago paper says, we're looking for the Good Samaritan. And it says, a man named Victor stopped and shared Jesus with me. And he saved my life. <laughs> and, man, I'm reading that, and I'm just like, golly, he lives. Praise God. So I called the phone number. And I called, and it was the owner of the truck drive, the owner of the truck driving company. And I called, and I said, hi, my name is Victor. And he goes, Victor, we've been looking for you. We want to meet you. I said, sure. So I come down to the hospital, and I bring two of my brothers with me. And uh, there's 15 people waiting in the hospital room, waiting to meet me, shake my hand and take me. And I brought a Bible, and I read the Good Samaritan parable. Since the newspaper was calling me a Good Samaritan, I figured I'd share that. And I read that. And that's what we're called to be. We're called to stop. I think back at how many times I've seen an accident, and I was too worried about where I had to be. And I kept driving. I figured somebody else has got it. You know what? I got the Lord Jesus Christ living in me, man. I need to be stopping for every car accident. Because I have the power inside of me. God wants to use you and me. He wants to use everybody listening to this right now. He wants to use you. He wants you to heal the sick. Yeah, God could use angels, but he doesn't use angels. He uses us. It's our job to, to bring forth the good news of Jesus Christ. It's our job to bring healing. He can do it but without us, but he chooses to use us. He, want, he loves us. He wants to include us. Being a Christian is exciting. If, it's, if your Christian walk is boring, you're doing something wrong. Ever since I started walking this out, it's been the most exciting, craziest stuff ever. Let me tell you how much... So the guy's name is Keith. So I got to tell him how much God loves him. This is how much God loves Keith. All right? When I first moved to Chicago, the day I walked into my house, a guy knocked on the door and wanted to sell me a security system. I told him to get lost, and he gave, me, he gave me his business card. I told him I'd call him back. So I called him back to tell him to get lost. But I got his voicemail, and his voicemail said, Praise Jesus, thank you for calling me. And I had a change of heart, and I said, Hey, why don't you come over? The guy came over, and I said, Hey, what's up with you loving Jesus? And he shared his whole testimony, how he got delivered from drugs, and he told me what church to go to. And I went to that church, and there I made my best, and at that church... I became friends with a brother named Quentin, and he be, quickly became my best friend. He asked me, and he was the praise and worship leader, and he'd been praying, praying for somebody to come in there and fix the sound system. And that's what I was doing. God, When I walked in that church, God told me to fix the sound system. So I started fixing the sound system. He said, you've been a blessing to me. You're answered prayer. Why do you come to this church? I said, a couple months ago, a guy, ADT salesman, told me to come here. And he said, is his name Dave? I said, yeah. He goes, oh, hallelujah. I haven't been Dave for years. He's like, I was worried that he was back on drugs. I go, no, he's praising. He loves the Lord. He told me to come here. He said, he said a couple of years ago, Dave was going to go to jail. I didn't know Dave. He showed up to my work site, and he asked for $4,000 or else he was going to prison. God told me to give him $4,000. So I did. Quentin gave Dave, a stranger, $4,000, and Dave came back and worked off every penny. And God repaid Quentin for his obedience and, and brought us together. So Quentin got lost one day in, a, in, in Wisconsin, and he got lost in a man's parking lot. And there was a, a phone number on the, on the sign that said, Wild Heart Ministries for Men. And Quentin said, I want to find some real men. And he called the phone number. 
to this day, he's the only man to ever call that phone number. And the, the man that answered, his name was Bob. And Bob and Quentin and I are best friends now. And when God called me into the wilderness, he called Quentin at the same time. And he also called Bob. And we all met each other when we were just coming out into the wilderness. And Bob invited me over to his house. And I met Bob. And I was at Bob's house. And I met a young brother that wanted to become a rapper. And he had heard that I had made a rap video that was on BET. So he said, you know what, I'm going to make a rap video one day with you. And I said, fine, here's my card. One year later, he called me, and he said, it's time to make a rap video. And I said, you know what, I don't know if it is because I just gave my business away. When I moved back to Chicago, God told me to give my business away to my employee. He's been a faithful, hardworking person. And I gave my entire business, all the cameras, all the equipment, all the clientele, everything, gave it to him. And David is... He's a great brother. He didn't know the Lord when he started working for me, but he did by the time he was done working for me. And now he's running my my old business, and I was get and I was done with the video business. But God told me to make the rap video, so because I'd given my video cameras away, I had to go rent a video camera. So I went and rented a video camera, and that's why I had to go on 94 to return a video camera. And that's how much God loves Keith, the truck driver, and that. All those things had all those things happened. All these impossibilities were be, became possible because of just following God, listening to God's voice. You know, I've learned to live a lifestyle of fasting and praying. Finally, and you know what? I'm starting to hear God. And I used to hear people say, "Oh, God told me this. God told me that." And I used to think they were crazy, but you know what? I'm starting to become one of those crazy people because I'm starting to desire the things of God far more than the things of flesh. And uh, I wouldn't have it any other way, man. Victor, I am speechless for one of the first times in my life. Um, I want you to maybe tell people, give somebody some direction for um, discipleship. Where, what kind of, what kind of ideas, some practical things that people can start uh, doing uh, if they've just been wrecked by this whole thing? What, what some practical steps for them? Well, yeah, you know, I'm glad you asked that because through all this, um, so Quentin and Bob. Uh, Bob's had a men's ministry, but, you know, in the past it was just kind of let's play paintballs and uh, say a little prayer and go camping and that kind of stuff. And it wasn't true discipleship. And, uh, you know, it was guys getting together and doing guy stuff. And uh, we said enough of that. And now we're getting real. And, uh, you know, like I said, all the men that I'm friends with now, I didn't even know three years ago. And... I said, God, I need like-minded men. I need to be yoked with, 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 with believers that are in the same place that I'm at, or at least trying to go where I'm trying to go. That want to press in deeper. That want to know you to the fullest. And God started bringing those guys into my life. And when He did, we sat down and we said, "Okay, guys, we're going to get real with one another." And that's the that's the only rule of our men's group is that is that we keep it real. That, that you don't get offended. You could tell anybody anything. You could tell them about your homosexuality. You could tell them about your sexual sins. You could tell them anything, and nobody will judge you. But and that's what we got to be. It, it, you need to be in a place where you could be in a safe place where you could share anything with anybody. And uh, you know that that's where true discipleship is going to be. Is one you got to first love people, and it's going to be inconvenient. I've met, I've, I've discipled guys for the last couple of years, and you know what? It's a pain in the butt because sometimes you get a phone call at 2 in the morning because the guy's crying because he needs prayer 
because he's thinking about going back to his old sin. And you gotta, you gotta be okay with that. You gotta love him. And it, so, now I'm starting to see real discipleship because of love, man. I'm, for the first time, I'm loving people into the kingdom. I used to get them into a headlock and tell them to say my prayer. You know, I ain't even doing that anymore. I'm loving people into the kingdom. And it first started with me learning how to love myself and then how to love others. And it, it's so cool. There, we have such an eclectic group, man. I, I, there's a dozen guys that meet on Thursday nights with me. And uh, there's guys from like nine, ten different churches. And it's just so cool to see the growth. It's kind of sad at times. I, you know, I think we, just, we were fasting a couple weeks ago. And some of these guys had never fasted in their whole life. And these guys are leaders in their churches. And I kind of, you know, I grieve that a little bit. Like, you know, wow, you're, you know, you've never been challenged to fast before, but I'm excited to see what God did during their fast. They were saying, wow, why haven't I been doing this my whole life? I've been missing out. I, I, this is great. So it's just so exciting to see the growth. And, and I want that for everybody. I want that for every church and for every men, men's group, you know, for, for them to, to be, in a, be around men where they could be in a safe place, where they could share with one another and edify one another and challenge each other and, and oh man, Victor, what about things uh, like fasting? Um, give, give somebody just a you know never fasted before. Give them just the quick the quick uh, version. What would you recommend for them? Uh, you know, first I would uh, I would fast a meal. Um, you know, uh, you know, fast fast a lunch, and, uh, and and spend that time in prayer and in the Word, and uh, and then and then and then uh, and then fast for a full day for a full twenty four hours. Um, and then once you've done that, uh, you know, when you feel called again to fast, you know, I would challenge you to do a three-day fast of, of just water. And, um, you know, once you get past that first day, you know, yeah, you're, you're wrestling with the flesh and your flesh is saying, feed me, what are you doing? You're killing me over here. But, you know, once you get past that first day, you know, it's, oh, it's great. It's, you know, especially if you're dealing with pride, you know, the things I've, I've dealt with in my life is pride and lust. When I fast, man, that stuff goes away. It goes away, and I used to only fast when my carnal man was starting to come out again, when the old Victor was starting to manifest, and it was like, okay, it's time to kill him again, and I would fast, and it would, it would be good for for killing that, and it, it helped me overcome my my sin, my, my past sin problems. Even though I had been delivered, sometimes I would fall again. You know what? I'm not seeing that as I, it, like I used to because of, because of the lifestyle of prayer and fasting, especially the fasting, it's just that killing of that flesh. And uh, now I'm learning to do it, to make it a lifestyle. And that's, why, that's what Jesus did. And that's why Jesus knew where to go. That's why he knew when he would walk into town that he was going to eat dinner at that guy's house. That's why he knew to go to the left or to go to the right. And that's why he knew which ones to pray for. Jesus didn't pray for every single person he walked past. He didn't, you know, he knew who to pray for. He knew where he was called. He knew what he was to do. He knew his Father's will. And that's what we need to come into that. We need to come into that revelation of knowing what God's will is for us. And when we do, we'll know then when we're at the traffic light, you know what, you're supposed to drive straight and go six miles out of your way behind a snowplow in a blizzard and go pay $3 in tolls and go the way that you've never gone, the way that you never go. You're going to go that way today. 